Hello, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Guidehouse Insights Plugged In Podcast, where you go deep into emerging topics from the high meter batteries to EV batteries to basically any other type of battery. I'm Jake Foos, a research analyst on the Insights Transport team. My recent research has been about electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles are going to change the way we design GPS services. This month, we are speaking with Oliver Dixon, a senior research analyst on the Guidehouse Insights team about his report, Trailer Electrification. Oliver is on the Guidehouse Insights Transportation Insights team with me and past guests Sam Abuelsamid and Mike Austin. Oliver Dixon is a senior research analyst on the Guidehouse Insights Transportation and Mobility team. His work focuses on heavy-duty and off-highway vehicles and fleet decarbonization. Before joining Guidehouse, Oliver worked as an analyst covering the global commercial vehicle market, working alongside a range of clients including investors, regulators, and OEMs. Oliver holds a BSc in Applied Psychology from Aston Business School and an MBA from Warwick Business School. Welcome to the pod, Oliver. Jake, it's a pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. I hope that everyone gets led up to the intro to this and then the last two schools, the the big reveal of the British accent is going to be very exciting for some people. Don't let the accent fool you. I spent 15 years in Dallas, so it's um, <laughs> anyway. But yes, uh, both firmly in the UK Midlands, those two. Can I get a quick yee-haw in the British accent just to hear what that would sound like? <coughs> yee, no. Uh, uh, no ha. Absolutely no ha's at all. It's uh, none whatsoever. And uh, I regard wearing hats indoors as a cardinal sin as well. So anyway, that's enough of Texas. Oh my God. We, we just lost so many of our listeners from the American Southwest. Uh, yeah, Oliver, to start kind of the, the interview... We're seeing a lot of movement in EVs right now in the light vehicle market, which for anyone at home is basically any car a normal consumer would drive. How has the development for EVs been going for heavy-duty vehicles? I think it's the it's following a similar trajectory. Um, the cadence is clearly different, and I think there's a very fundamental point that we tend to forget here. Electrification of light EVs it tends to be more of a B2C, a, a consumer market. Within the heavy vehicle segment, it's firmly B2B. And so therefore... B2B being business to business? Business to business, yeah. So therefore, the cost analysis is is absolutely crucial. Essentially, transport is a derived demand. You don't buy a truck unless somebody has freight to put on that truck. Similarly, you don't buy truck A over truck B unless truck A offers certain advantages over truck B. So I think what we're seeing at the moment is the initial development of yeah, some early adopters. And I mean, there are, there are a multitude of different drivers here, as you know yourself, Jake, Scope 3, ESG reports, etc., but the bulk of the the bulk of the market, both in the US and frankly worldwide, is I think, you know, sitting on the sidelines paying very close attention to what happens next. But as I say, we haven't seen we, we haven't seen the sort of five percent adoption rate that we've seen in some markets for EVs as yet. Okay. I don't want to ask a specific because, you know, heavy duty is so big and so wide, but I think the heavy-duty vehicle that most people might be the most familiar with and see in their life is a tractor-trailer, a tractor-trailer long-hauling some kind of shipment. So has there been any sort of pushes specifically in those that is different than the push in heavy-duty construction equipment or farming equipment? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the key differentiator at the moment between those vehicles that can and those vehicles that can't electrify 
is essentially where that vehicle ends its day. If it ends its day at a truck park on the side of I-90, that's one thing. If it ends its day at the depot it ran out of that morning, that's another thing. Now, obviously, construction equipment is, by its very nature, remote. I mean, it's not earning money if it's parked in this depot, so therefore, it's going to be on a site. Agricultural equipment, it's farm-based, so therefore, that's depot-based. But I think at the moment, with the heavy-duty truck segment, we're seeing a situation where the low-hanging fruit is deemed to be the stuff that can be recharged overnight, probably operates on a single shift, and... You know, it can literally be plugged into the wall the last thing before the guy locks the door on his way home. Now, where that starts to get more involved, obviously, if you look at the big grocery store chains, a lot of those trucks, they don't do one shift a day, they do two and at times three shifts a day. So what what is what is becoming increasingly relevant is the speed with which those vehicles can be, if you like, refreshed and renewed and refueled, ready for a second and a third shift. Clearly with a diesel truck, it's a case of banging 40 gallons of diesel in there. With an electric truck, it's rather more involved. Right now, we're at the stage of, as I say, the most basic form of operation. Truck leaves in the morning with a full charge, truck gets back in the afternoon with less than a full charge, truck gets charged up overnight and so the the long day wears on where we're getting to now is a discussion in terms of okay how do we actually sweat that asset with more than one shift and that's something that the recent NASFI North American Council on Freight Efficiency it, it studies have actually sort of been very useful for and I, I would commend listeners in the direction of NASFI on this subject because you know they're the guys who know I think you know realistically the notion of a lack of charging infrastructure, a lack of public charging infrastructure is clearly uppermost in the mind right now. But realistically, where we're at in terms of industry-wide adoption is, as I say, the stuff that really does not need access to public charging. Quite where that sits in comparison with light EV it's kind of difficult. I said, not an apples to apples comparison, obviously. I guess a, another comparison I'd like to ask about is there is this big push in the light duty market in terms of manufacturers' fleet needs to have so much overall miles per gallon rating and these cafe standards. Is there something similar, you know, these larger trailer fleets? Like, is there any sort of law pushing that to happen on a larger scale for on the road shipments? Well, for the truck OEMs, yeah, there is. I mean, there's a requirement to have a certain percentage of ZEV by a certain time. It gets pretty convoluted. But yes, in answer to your question, there is a carrot and a stick approach being used. And one could argue that the stick is exponentially larger than the carrot right now. Don't forget that when we're talking about trailers and trucks, we're talking about two very distinct manufacturer groups. Truck manufacturers, i.e. the the guys who make the front end, very rarely get involved with the back end, the stuff that actually makes the money, the stuff that carries the freight, and vice versa. Uh, that's one of the one of the slightly strange sort of anomalies within the, the industry. You would have thought that, yes, they would all be sort of come out of one in the same building. But in fact, for historical reasons, it's a, it's a very fragmented business in that regard. 
So there is there's very little up until recently. There has been very little sort of regulatory impetus from the trailer end, and it has all come from the the tractor unit, the the motive unit end. Yeah, I, I do want to ask about that, but real quick, just a, a thought that's popped in my head: How much carbon do you know is emitted on the road transportation, and how much of that is the the road shipment part of vehicles on the road, and how much of that is every other car driving um short answer a lot um (laughs) (laughs) more considered answer as he looks desperately for his notes on his desk during 2020 iea data suggests that the global transportation segment knocked out 7.2 gigatons of co2 of this total heavy truck and bus accounted for 2.2 so 30 percent give or take it's, it's a reckonable lump of CO2, basically. If it went away overnight, we would miss it. Yeah. So to get back to report in question and the thing that you just mentioned, when I think about on-road shipping, I think about the tractor and the trailer kind of as one unit, but your report specifically broke out tractors on their own. Why? Why'd you do that? Well, I think, again, we the two, the two products come together to enable revenue. And sorry for... Sorry for a bit of business school pomposity here, but it's probably the, the best way to describe it. But they are yeah, absolutely distinct. I mean, for a start, trailers in the US probably get run out over a 15-year life, pretty much the same in Europe. First life for a tractor unit, anything from 18 months to three and a half years. So you've got a huge a, a huge difference in lifespan. Number two, there is, and again, there's sort of historical reasons for this. You would assume that for every tractor unit, there would be a trailer. Uh, in fact, in the US, for every tractor unit, there's something like 3.2 trailers. In Europe, it's 2.2 trailers or something like that. So, you know, there are an awful lot of trailers kicking about, which, you know, the the size of the population and the lifespan kind of preclude much by way of rapid technological advance. And it's also, again, you know, has probably proved as a bit of a restraint as well. You know, if you've got three trailers per truck, then realistically to benefit from trailer advances, you've got to actually do something with three trailers, not one trailer. So therefore, you're spending three times the amount to actually get one times the benefit. Unless that benefit is considerable, it's probably going to be parked on one side. And I don't know, you'll replace the office coffee machine first. It's a sort of, you know, in terms of list of priorities. However, I think one of the really interesting things that's come out of this research is some of the trailer technology that we've looked at is actually applicable as much to conventional diesel ICE trucks as it is electric BV trucks. And one of these, effectively, we're seeing the development, and this is actually happening very quickly in Europe, of systems which allow the trailer axles to actually generate current, which clearly provides power to a battery within the trailer. Now, with a fully electric configuration, that's a kind of lovely idea, but all you're doing is 
taking what is a, a clear problem with electric trucks either weight and just spreading it about a bit. If you actually apply a powered trailer to a diesel truck, you, you can actually generate significant fuel savings in terms of you know letting the trailer actually push the truck along a bit. You know, and you know, a couple of companies, you know, big, big fleets in Europe have been trialing these systems with you know significant success. And they've been in terms of percentage fuel savings, they've been we're, we're talking, you know, round about 10% rather than point point one percent So it's a very significant lump. Bearing in mind as well that in Europe, fuel is probably the biggest single input cost for a truck fleet. Those are numbers that are going to get attention. So you're going to actually see procurement decisions based not on you know, strict environmental stroke regulatory decisions, but actually in terms of P&L decisions. There aren't many truck fleets that can afford to ignore a 10% fuel saving, or if there are, they're probably, yeah, uh, if they are, they'll probably need a new accountant fairly quickly. Yeah, so like these on-the-road trailers as they're being electrified, what are the different tech, what's the different modalities of electrification for these on-the-road trailers? There are effectively four. And again, part of the, part of the charm of this market and part of its part of the reason that it's infuriating is there is a trailer for every purpose. We could, and in fact, I have spent days trying to figure out just how many different trailer types there are, and I'm still not there. But basically... We've narrowed it down to sort of four routes to electrification, which are shore power, which is pretty distinct, mild solar and full solar, which are, need to be sort of compared together-ish, and then obviously the sort of the e-axle approach. Let me just run through very quickly. Yeah, shore power is very simple. It's basically a battery on a trailer, which can be plugged into the mains at some point and can therefore draw power. I mean, shore power is actually a shipping term. It's what ships actually hook up to when they're in port to stop, to reduce the requirement of having large ship engines sort of powering the boat while it's moored. When I read your report for the first time, I, I got the word shore power and I had flashbacks to the short sea electrification report. Oh, that was, uh, th those were happy times, weren't they? He said with uh, a wry smile on his face. Anyway, the um, shore power applications, for example, let us take a, sorry, I'm going to get into a load of transport terminology here, but that's literally what this podcast is about. Excellent, excellent. And somebody's going to listen to me at last after all these years. Let us say we have a, a dry bolt trailer, which is the sort of trailer that carries cement powder or, I don't know, bread flour or something like that. And these these are usually contained and they're loaded through a hopper. And obviously, when it comes to be discharged, something needs to actually push the stuff out of that trailer. Well, traditionally, that's been a donkey engine, a small diesel engine, which powers a blower, which pushes, which discharges the load. Clearly, diesel donkey engines, not good from a decarb perspective. So better idea is let's sort of hook this thing up to the mains and use an electric motor as the blower. 
a very simple application, very obvious application. And in fact, we're beginning to see some of the larger fleets in that market actually installing their own shore power systems at regular discharge points or regular customer points just so they can do this. I mean, and that's pretty much closed loop, real easy adoption, makes a whole lot of sense, cures a problem. Also has the benefit, incidentally, of reducing noise, which is becoming an increasing issue in some markets where between eight and four in the afternoon you can unload between four and eight in the morning you can't so it stretches the day a bit mild solar again mild solar has been around for bluntly since god was a boy uh (laughs) basically mild solar its purpose is to allow the trailer to stand still without a power source for a period of time and still actually still benefit from being equipped with things like sensors, etc., etc., which in terms of asset tracking clearly is important. These things have a trailers have a, a fairly uh, fairly vigorous secondhand market. You know, they do tend to go missing from time to time. So if you can actually track the asset, that's great. Clearly, if you've got a battery-driven sensor, that's gonna run out over time. So mild solar allows for that. And I, there's a whole panoply of sensors now which are used for fleet management, be it things like how often the door has been opened, what temperature a reefer trailer is set at, things like that. And a lot of this is sort of compliance-based. A lot of it is effective sort of transport and load management-based. So that's really where mild solar is in its sweet spot. Full solar... <sighs> Full solar is a strange one, I, I will admit, and I'm very much in two, in two, probably actually more than two minds as to where this is all going to end up. The idea being that a trailer, the roof of a trailer has, you know, offers quite a lot of real estate. I mean, a standard trailer in the US is 53 feet long, eight feet wide, so you can hell you can hold an informal dance for 20 couples on top of one so basically you can should you feel so minded you can load some solar panels up there now clearly we're talking specifically about reefer trailers here so temperature controlled trailers in theory yeah works fine and we've seen you know certainly probably proof of concept vehicles out in the market and they look to be doing okay uh, the downside to solar panels on trailers, clearly they work when they work, when they don't work, they don't work, is probably the, the easiest way of describing it. Cost benefit is really difficult to establish because, as I say, it's very much nascent technology. But the reality is I, I'm kind of bearish on the adoption of full solar simply because it is a complex solution to a problem which is actually solved more readily by e-axles which we've already discussed basically um, taking a charge from the trailer axle and using that in whatever way you choose uh, be, it, be it to run a temperature control unit be it to run a blower unit etc etc so it's a kind of we've identified four technology groups which two are clearly cousins and three of which yeah, we're going to see more of no doubt full solar yeah as i say i'm less inclined to sort of hang flags out on that one it seems like the possibilities is that e-axle probably used the most frequently and would be particularly disruptive if that's what i'm uh, yeah, sensing but, by the way you talked about it 
That very much so. And I, there's a sort of a, a slightly predictable conversation going on on the sidelines at the moment in terms of retrofitting. The trailer market is, as I say, it, it's traditionally been made up of a large number of very small manufacturers. Historically, it was a very regional stroke local industry. There's been a bit of consolidation over time, and now we're seeing the bigger trailer manufacturers who they want this stuff for their own. In Europe, there is one trailer manufacturer which actually took a significant equity stake in probably the most advanced e-axle trailer manufacturer. And they, I mean, they're basically rolling, I think as of 1Q24, they're rolling these things out as, you know, they're, they're, they're basically going to the market in couple of months time it's happening pretty quickly and yes it will be disruptive the other side of this of course is truthfully trailers as you know yourself jake a lot of the r&d a lot of the new big things that we've seen over recent years have been a function of you know there's been a lot of money kicking about conventional investments basically you'd have done better out back of a tijuana gas station with a dice game so Unsurprisingly, if you're an investor and you were being kind of said, this might actually work, then you'd take a close look at it. Those times have now changed. So the the willingness to go out on a limb in terms of developing new technology for something as prosaic as a trailer has probably halved, if not more so. So I think this is kind of what we now have and the sort of the shakeout will begin. But yeah, I think we'll see significant adoption rates for e-axle equipped trailers in the next couple of three years. It seems that there's a lot of drivers and things moving this trailer electrification market forward. I think one of the things we haven't really talked about are things that might be holding it back. Are there reasons that this wouldn't be picked up so aggressively in the next three to 10 years? Transportation, trucking especially, is notably technology averse. I say with, say only with slightly tongue-in-cheek that there are probably guys out there who would still rather have two horses in front of a trailer rather than a truck. (laughs) But all joking aside, it's not the sort of business in which people like being first at the party. They don't like being second, third or fourth at the party. Frankly, they need to see a demonstrable and quantitative benefit before you know they they dip their toes in the water now that's not you know that's not unreasonable but one of the issues that we bump into with that is clearly you know lifespans if you're buying a trailer tomorrow you're looking at that trailer going out of service in dear god almost 2040 and so assuming 15 years have I got my math right now? Yes, I have. So therefore, you know, how do you future-proof? that This is becoming a, a, an increasingly important issue because, as I say, five years ago, all trailers had to do was basically comply with the regulation and not break. And that was all you required of them. Now, you know, frankly, there's, there's, a, lot more, there's a lot more to consider. And the issue of future-proofing against the issue of technology aversion is, is one of the key debates within the heavy vehicle industry right now. Oliver, the last thing I always like to ask people 
before we, we let them go is you've spent so much of your life and so much of this project looking into trailer electrification in the tractor trailer market. Have you found anything really weird or strange or otherwise particularly notable that doesn't really get to talk about in any of our formats we like to talk about in the Guidehouse Insights team? After many years involved in the industry, I'm actually looking forward to finding something that isn't weird in the trucking industry. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I think one of the, I, whether or not this is weird, I don't know. But one of the things that is so, one of the charms of the trucking industry, and I, that's probably the wrong word to use, but no, its, I love ability, it. its ability to adapt is absolutely is endless i mean it is in operational terms it is a chameleon and as an industry it's probably had more regulation thrown at it than yeah pretty much any other on earth i should think i mean i'll i'll tell you a story from my distant past when i was a, a young man driving trucks for the more flamboyant end of the irish trucking industry i would buy the occasional trade magazine and probably four pages of that magazine involved trucks and 14 pages involved road transport law. And there was probably more law in a trucking trade magazine in the 1990s than in the American Bar Association magazine. You know, it, it, it's a highly regulated industry which adapts and it adapts and it readapts. So I think this is the first time that we've seen a... This is the first time that I'm aware of that we've seen an industry actually be moved moved away from what has been the accepted, yeah, if, you, if you like, the gospel truth for 100 years and pushed towards something else. And how how it reacts to that is going to be fascinating. Uh, I mean, in you know, years, years to come, all the uh, bright-eyed business school students actually studying this, going, why the hell did they do that? <laughs> what were they thinking? And this guy at Guidehouse, what on earth did he You know, it's a sort of, there is a... So, I, you know, I think we... Weird is the wrong way of describing it, but I just get the sense that, you know, it's going to be very, very exciting over the next few years because there is no right answer. Yeah, basically, diesel is the most efficient way of driving a heavy vehicle about. So, you know, that, that's a given. 100 years prove that. So we're looking for the next best. And in looking for the next best, we're looking for the least worst. So how we get to the least worst... I don't know. But right now, we're at a stage in the development in which there's no wrong answer. There's just sort of a number of answers, some of which may be more right than others. And you can tell that I've written reports before, because that's the sort of way you get your word count up quite nicely. We'll leave it at that. Thanks so much, uh, Oliver, for joining the Guidehouse Insights podcast. To learn more, his report is available on the Guidehouse Insights webpage. To keep up with the podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We look forward to you joining us for the next conversation we have in December. And thank you to Guidehouse for providing us with this platform of a discussion to keep up to date on the larger Guidehouse Insights work. Follow our Industry Insights blog on the website guidehouseinsights.com. Oliver, thank you so much. Jake, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.